0: us to respond faithfully, with courage, with boldness, with determination, with a sense that says, yes, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, stir in us and awaken us to truth, in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you to the band. We're going to be in John's Gospel uh, again this morning, chapter 10. Next week we have baptisms, as Phil mentioned earlier, which is fantastic. Chapter 10. Remember, uh, last week Phil was preaching, and we were in chapter 9, surprisingly. And in chapter 9, there is a whole series of, of an encounter where Jesus meets with a man who was born blind and heals him. And there's a kind of comical uh, kind of toing and froing with the religious leaders who kind of keep calling him and call him back and then call his parents and then call the man back again and saying, who did this? It happened on a Sabbath, but who did this? And... Uh, at the end of the story, the man who was blind, who now sees, meets with Jesus and worships him. And this story that we'll read, these uh, verses in chapter ten, are part and parcel of of that whole event. Please don't be put off by um, that. I just kind of we'll get to it. But verse twenty one. But the other said, "These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon." Can a demon opened the eyes of the blind. Remember, that's what's just happened. blind man's eyes have been opened. So verse one. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate... Is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he is brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used uh, this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Pretty plain, isn't it? He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. (coughs) Many of them said, He's demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense if you're the Christ tellers plainly? Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. <clears throat> the miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for those, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answers, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed. And many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Um, who on their Christmas uh, wish list has, um, has put down that they would like to have a sat-nav? Or do you already have sat-navs? I still yet... This isn't a plug, by the way. I'm not fishing. Uh, I, uh, I, um, I've not yet got a sat-nav. I'm old-fashioned. I might adopt some technology, but uh, I've not yet uh, kind of um, checked in my brain and um, allowed... I know, I know. Uh, the reason I say that is I came across some people who followed their sat-navs so... Um, religiously, that it got them into trouble. Do you want to hear of some of those? Some nodding going on. You know this, don't you? Uh, here are, t- I won't give you all 10, but there, here are some. A dozy driver takes the GPS directions onto a railway line. Uh, the, uh, the, the man was, uh, drove six meters down a railway line after telling the police officers, responding to the scene, that his sat-nav had told him to do so. Uh, thankfully, people spotted him. The, uh, the dozy driver told police that the sat-nav had told him to take a right at the level crossing. <laughs> which he did. How about some girls in the US? Uh, they drove into a lake. Uh, uh, they they um, had their GPSs on and the sat-nav was giving them instructions. They'd hide, hired a, a big kind of um, four-wheel drive thing uh, and they drove their, their uh, Mercedes into uh, the lake. Wonderful, isn't it? Japanese tourists drive into the Pacific Ocean uh, because of their GPS. Um, they were unfamiliar with the country and the roads, and they, they hired a GPS sat-nav with their car and uh, one of the tourists said uh, the the GPS told us we could drive down there. It kept saying it would navigate us to a road. We got stuck. There's lots of mud, they said. (laughs) Funny, isn't it? And the last one. Um, an An Austrian limo driver follows his GPS down a flight of steps. The article says, A limousine is the most stylish way to travel apart from when it's bouncing down a set of concrete steps in a busy Austrian city. It happened in Salzburg when the chauffeur decided he would completely trust the GPS, but it was the beginning of a disaster. According to the driver, he believed that he could drive straight to the entrance of a busy shop, but ended up taking himself, the limo, and his boss down a steep flight of steps. No one was injured, but apparently the chauffeur is now, now has a new career in air traffic control. <laughs> Easy to do. Who do you follow? Now, because we're in church, you're immediately going to say Jesus, because that's kind of what we talk about. But Jesus makes these really kind of clear statements. He says, I tell you the truth. In all the voices that are competing in all uh, of our society, it's still really, really a question of who will you trust? And Jesus, across the ages, Jesus very clearly says, I tell you the truth. Truth isn't changing. Truth isn't just a feature, a factor of whatever century you live in. Jesus tells the truth to all people in all times. But will you hear it? We all follow different things. Have you got a Twitter account? How many people do you follow? Some people, uh, you know, you can work out who the... um, The great celebrities of our age are those who are worth following because you you can look up on Twitter and see who's trending and see who you want to follow. Stephen Fry is still right up there. Lots of people listen to what he says. David Cameron uh, and others. If you're on Facebook page, you can like certain pages, like certain celebrities, follow them, see what's happening. If I meet you on Christmas Day and uh, you bring your favorite Christmas gift to a Christmas morning service, uh, what will you be wearing? What will you have been given? What will have influenced that gift? I noticed a great peak in, in social media chatter when the John Lewis advert was released. Oh, it's so amazing, and the Coca-Cola truck is coming, and we've stocked our cupboards with that favorite pop. Who do we follow? What voices do we listen for? Maybe you open your paper every morning or or kind of read the blogs of Nick Robinson or Andrew Peston. Who do you follow? Whose voices speak into your life? Because we all do it. We all have places and people in circumstances that we turn to, that we listen to, that we, we draw strength and encouragement from when we need advice. For me, uh, I, you know, obvious, I'll tell you the obvious one later, but you can guess what it is, can't you? But I, when I was thinking about this, I thought, who do I... Who do I talk to and turn to? Well, for me, I've always had a sadness that my mum my and dad um, aren't Christians, or well, as far as I'm aware. My dad died last year, and my mum is still on a journey to find Jesus. But for, for my 22 years of following Jesus, I've, I've always found it really sad that I've not been able to go to my, my parents. I mean, I do for lots of things. Don't mishear that. I'm not sort of shut them out because they don't believe. But on things of faith and, and how my life is progressing and what God's doing and the challenges I'm facing, I've always missed that ability to go to, my, to parents who would have faith and pray with them and listen. And I know many of you have, have Christian relatives, and those are so precious. I have some great friends that I turn to and talk with and pray with and ask their advice. And I go to some books of people who've journeyed with Jesus. Think about it. Who do you follow? Who do your children follow? Some of your parents are going, I don't know. Who's in, who's in Is it Batman? Beckham's old hat now, isn't he? One Direction? <laughs> Lady Gaga? She has hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. came across a survey, and it was of school students, older school students, pupils. And the question was asked of them, who do do you turn to for advice when you're facing tension and confusion and crisis? Let's just have a little quiz. What number do you think fathers ranked at? I'll give you between one and 30. 25. High school or uh, children would rank their fathers as 25th of who they would approach for advice when facing tension, or confusion or crisis. What about mothers? Two, one, 11th. Oh dear. <laughs> It's a good job it's not Mothering Sunday, isn't it? We'd all be in uh, trouble. What do you think was top of the list? Friends, Friends? you're right. There was another one, joint top. The wasn't the internet, not the magazine. Music. Music. If you have ever stood at the bottom of your stairs and shouted up, turn that down! Young people gain so much of their worldview and their insight and what defines them by music? Who do you follow? Of course, we're going to answer Jesus. Well, I make that assumption. You know, I do make that assumption of you. And that's my prayer for you. You see, Jesus Jesus is, is in Jerusalem, and he's in the temple courts. And he's just done the most amazing thing. In fact, John says he's done some amazing things before. And these things are like signs. What are signs for? To point you to something. And this most amazing sign in in chapter 9 is this man who was born blind, Jesus heals. Not a shadow of a doubt, though some people think it must be a different man. We've never heard of someone who has been born blind being healed. And actually at the end of chapter 9 they kind of recognize it is, but they're completely at a loss to to decide how and who has done this. Apart from the man who was blind, who meets Jesus and trusts his life to him. And in chapter 10, we get this, this whole kind of uh, discussion, and it features sheep. You picked that up, didn't you? It features a lot about sheep. It's great in our rural Cotswold and, and Camden, which is renowned for its wool uh, and all that. You go to the St. James, and it's all kind of woolly this and woolly that. And I need to visit a few... I don't mean the theology. Yeah. <laughs> A world church, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what happens in chapter 10, 11? It's like two massive calamities of life. Chapter 9, blindness. Life being robbed, sickness, uh, life that hasn't been led uh, uh, at all with any fullness, life that is thwarted, life that has just been begging, life at the bottom of the heap, life that seems to have been passed by and has no hope, and Jesus brings light. I'm not wanting to, to steal the thunder of chapter 11. It's about a man called Lazarus who dies. And Jesus doesn't attend his funeral to pay his respects. Jesus attends his funeral and ends up saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Because Lazarus gets up again. And right in the midst of that, like the jam in the sandwich, Jesus starts talking using this kind of language of sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate by which you come in. I've come to give you life in all its fullness. Hooray. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, have this great debate with him. They say, Really? Are you? How can this be? You're, you're, how can you claim to be God? Are you God? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate. No one comes into eternal life except through me. He says it famously in John 14. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I tell you the truth, says Jesus. I'm the good shepherd. You know, there's, there's lots of people who will, will disagree with me on this. You know that. You talk to anybody on Alpha, or you talk to your neighbours, or you talk to your children, or you talk to your parents who don't believe. They say, how can you believe that? How can you believe that Jesus is the only way? It's a scandal. It's outrageous. It's rude. Who read the Da Vinci Code? I did. It's a good yarn. But it's a yarn. But the trouble with the way Dan Brown wrote it is... Is he kind of had enough smattering of truth that it kind of made you think, he's telling the truth, but he's not. So, Sir Lee T. Bing, who was one of the characters in the story, says this in, uh, in Da Vinci Code, Almost everything our fathers taught about Christ is false. Jesus was viewed by his followers as a mortal prophet, a great and powerful man, but a man nonetheless. Jesus' establishment as the Son of God was officially propped up and voted on by the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century, and it was a relatively close vote at that. He just reflects this view that Jesus, the Jesus that Christians believe, has just been morphed and changed and isn't truly the Jesus of history, it is a creation, a concoction, a made-up character that Christians now proclaim. And that belief kind of percolates and gets right into so many places. And, so, and the subtext of that is don't follow Jesus because you can't trust him. Don't base your life and your decisions and your, your whole goal and purpose on Jesus because he's a, fit, a historical figment or a myth or dangerous. Follow me, they say. Follow my idea. Follow my description. Follow this worldview, this philosophy, this set of principles. And Jesus says, Follow me. I am the good shepherd. Now, to us, we kind of go, Oh, that's nice, Jesus. Yeah, nice sheep. For the, for the Pharisees, this was a radical statement. For those who understood the history of Israel, this is a radical statement by Jesus. You know, here's a man who's been born blind, healed. And Jesus says to them, I'm the good shepherd. He uses this language of flock, of, of place, of belonging, of, of gathering the sheep in. And he, he has this... This, this, this phrase, the good shepherd, the shepherd. And all those of Israel would go, oh, yeah. Oh, What's that famous psalm and again that talks about uh, God being a shepherd? Pop quiz? For you? <laughs> psalm 23. We just sung it, didn't we? How does it go? Most famous psalm. One that we even have again and again, so often as I've conducted funerals, is there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Goodness me, Israel knew that. Well, or how about, how about in Isaiah... That great prophet of the Old Testament, chapter 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd, the prophet said, speaking of God. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Or what about Jeremiah, the prophet in exile? Or as Israel was going through the turbulence of exile and where is God? Jeremiah writes, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. What was that series? That story Jesus told in Luke's gospel? A man had a hundred watts. And how many get lost? And what does the shepherd do? Goes and finds the one that none should be missing. The days are coming, declares the Lord. Now, this is where it gets really serious. When I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. Then this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Or, gosh, if we're not convinced yet, what what about Ezekiel? There's a whole chapter in Ezekiel. I'm not going to read it all to you, but it's chapter 34. It's a brilliant chapter. But a highlight... Verse 22 I will save my flock, says the Lord, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. Wow. Again in Ezekiel, my servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd. Micah, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of, uh, of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, and then for his, great, his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Can you see why they pick up stones and are going to throw them? Because there's Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. You see, Jesus is showing us, and John is showing us in the gospel, that this Jesus, the one who was promised, this Jesus was in the plan of God for the rescue of God's people and the world. This Jesus is the Good Shepherd. There is not another one to come. There is no other teaching which will supplant or increase or go beyond. Jesus is it. Wonderful. Who are you following? Who will you follow? Well, if you need any uh, more understanding of the credentials of, of Jesus, he charts them in the, in the passage. He says that he's appointed as the good shepherd by his father. He's not self-appointed. Look at the responses, he says. He expects and he's seeing. The sheep, his sheep, listen to his voice. You know, there's been many who've refused to listen in the course of the verses so far, chapters and onwards. But you know, many hear and believe. How does the chapter end? And in that place, many believed in him. Jesus has said in chapter 6, all that the Father gives to him will come to me. Chapter 9, verse 38, the man who was blind said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him, Jesus. You see, when we think about Jesus, the call is to come and follow him. Not just trust, but follow. The call is to say, I will put you at the center of my life, and wherever you go, and whatever you will say, because the sheep listen to his voice, you will do. I came across a comment on this that I thought was, was really apt. Notice the passage doesn't say, just obey my teaching. Jesus focuses all this around himself. What's important is proximity, closeness to the shepherd, Jesus. Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He's trustworthy. Think Psalm 23. He's the good shepherd. Closeness to him. The commentator says this. When the people of Christ, Christians, have forgotten this and tried to secure unity or safety by building walls around themselves, the results have not been encouraging. Big understatement. The walls have either been so comprehensive and wide as to enclose a number of wolves along with the sheep with dreadful consequences for the sheep. Or, alternatively, they've made the wall so restrictive as to exclude more sheep than they enclose. It's about drawing close to Jesus. He said, I will never turn anyone away. Remember through the Gospels given for our inspiration, Jesus approaches people and says by name, come follow me, Nathaniel. Come follow me, Peter. Come follow me, man who was blind. Come follow me, Mary. Come follow me, Martha. And they left and journeyed with him. He calls us to himself to become part of the flock, the family, the people, to journey with him. My sheep, hear my voice. He's the good shepherd. The echoes for the Israelites remind them in the prophets of, this is one of David. Remember David was the youngest of the sons for 15 of them, he was the youngest, and, and he was given the job of looking after the sheep. And because it was kind of lowly and unimportant, but in that faithfulness and in David's heart for God, God anoints him as king to become the new king of his people, the good king, David, the one who risked his life to save his people. David, the one who protected his uh, his flock, we're told, from lions and bears. David, the one who fought Goliath and bigger armies and foreign oppressors. The one who was willing to risk himself on behalf of the sheep. Why? The sheep have value. And there are those out there who will rob and destroy and damage. Why is this shepherd metaphor so valid? Most Christians get a bit angsty about this. Don't like being a sheep. Maybe we should be a pack of dogs. No, maybe not. What about a pride of lions? What about a flock of doves? Well, Jesus says, sheep. But I saw some sheep recently. They were ugly, dirty, smelly things. And they were looking a bit sinister as I walked through their field, like they were going to chase me <laughs> and not be nice. <laughs> Shepherding is an unglamorous job. Shepherds hang around them, but not many other people do. Why? Because they're dirty. And they can be dangerous and do dangerous things, and they're a bit dull, I think. Sheep. For the shepherd, all he has is the animals for company, and he sleeps outside, and he fights off wild animals. And everyone thinks, well, I've got a better job than you, mate. And yet God was prepared to be known as the shepherd of his people right from Genesis. God is always prepared to get in amongst us, to get smelly and dirty and abide with the difficult ones and the stubborn ones and the perennially wandering off ones. And the good shepherd, the shepherd who provides for the sheep and leads them to good pasture, that's what shepherds do. If, not, if a shepherd doesn't lead a herd to water, they're not doing a good job. God is the great provider, the good shepherd, the one who protects the flock. Not just as a hired hand, not just as someone given a temporary job and he thinks, well, if the beast comes along, it's my skin or theirs and I can, I'm going to live and they're not. But the shepherd is committed to the flock and says, My livelihood, my life is entwined with these creatures. And I will protect them. And Jesus says, I will lay down my life for them because they are precious. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. Come into life through Jesus because he will make the way for us. And shepherds lead their sheep. They don't just sit back and let them follow a sheepy sat-nav. But involve close by, calling. Sheep don't debate with the shepherds. They don't say, no, no, shepherd, I don't want to go that way, thanks. I think I know a better place today to go. Well, I'll go my own way. Foolish sheep. Shepherds lead. They know where to go. Where not to go, they know when to go, and they know where it's good. And when the shepherd moves, so do the sheep. Who are you following? Do you believe he's good? There's lots of people who will seek to shepherd your life, only one is good. There are lots of people who will say, Well, if you follow my way, then you'll find some life and find some happiness and find some contentment, and it will seem to fit. And it may do for a time, but it will not lead to eternal life. You're free to choose to live your life in whatever way you want, but only one says eternal life is the destination, the guarantee, the certainty Jesus. Who will you follow? Who will you listen to? Came across in closing this beautiful story. Because we all go to places and we all listen to different voices and follow different things. But we hear the voice of Jesus by returning again and again to the scriptures. We pray them through. We learn them. We listen. And we grow to know the shepherd's voice. From the Middle East, Arab shepherds are well known for having flocks and how they know their sheep. During the Palestinian uprising in the late 80s, the Israel army decided to punish a village near Bethlehem for not paying enough tax or any tax. So the officer in command, the Israeli soldier, rounded up all of the village's animals. And placed them in a large barbed wire pen, hundreds of the things. Later in the week, the officer was approached by an old woman who begged him to release her flock, arguing that as a widow, the animals were her only source of living and life. Well, he said, Look, here's this pen, and it contains hundreds of animals. And he kind of said humorously, it's impossible for me. How can I find your sheep amongst this many? Well, she said, if I can separate mine from the rest, would you be willing to let me have them? Yes, he said. The soldier opened the gate. And she called her young son. And he produced a small reed flute. And he played just a simple tune a few times over. And the soldier saw that in the barbed wire pen, sheep heads began to pop up and come out. And the young boy continued his music and walked home, followed by 25 sheep. they knew to whom they belonged they learnt to recognize his voice but in this day and age where do we turn to who do we follow to whom will we listen when the decisions and the crisis and the point of tension comes where will you go will you have learnt in the good days to listen to his voice and know his tone that you'll know the way to go. One of my dear friends is is really struggling at the moment. He's had his gallbladder out and his pain, and he's really questioning kind of why God hasn't restored him. He's 42. And I sat with him this week, and I prayed with him. And I just spoke over him truths that he's known for a long time and said, remember them, because they're true in the good days. And they're also true in the dark days. Through the valley, the shadow of death. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I am the gate, Jesus says. Will you come in? Will you come in, Mary and Sue? Will you come in, David, Keith? Will you come in? Make your home with me. Become part of the flock. And follow me all your days, the great, good shepherd. Should we pray? The Lord just called to mind earlier on as Philip was sharing what are the mountains? What are the mountains? Where is your vision focused? Is it focused on the difficulty, the problem, the tension, the worry, the fear? I encourage, encourage you to turn your attention to the good shepherd. I talks about proximity is really important closeness to Jesus because it takes our eyes off the mountain and to the eternal one the Lord of life the healing one the comforter the restorer of our soul have you wandered off you thinking that flock over there looks more fun than this one? Linvoy Lin yesterday said he'd followed money and he'd followed fame in football and he'd followed parties to try and fulfill his life. And he said, actually, it's Jesus that does that. Have you forgotten that it's really important to read the scriptures? Are you making that space and time to learn the tones and the ways and the voice of Jesus? Will you put your trust again in Him, the Good Shepherd?